Then one was brought to him who was demon-possessed, blind and mute. And he healed him, so that the blind and mute man both spoke and saw. And all the multitudes were amazed, saying, Could this be the son of David? Now when the Pharisees heard it, they said, This fellow does not cast out demons except by Beelzebub, the ruler of the demons. But Jesus knew their thoughts and said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation, and every city or house divided against itself cannot stand. And if Satan casts out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then will his kingdom stand? And if I cast out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore you shall, they shall be your judges. But if I cast out demons by the Spirit of God, surely the kingdom of God has come upon you. Glory be to God forever and ever. Amen. So Jesus had healed many people in Matthew 12. And then they bring him a man. Listen to this. He's blind, he's mute, and demon-possessed. He can't see, he can't speak. Now, he may not be able to speak because he can't hear or because he can't speak, but nonetheless, and he's demon-possessed. The fathers tell us this man represents all of creation, specifically all of humanity. Those who cannot see the mighty works of God, those who cannot see, cannot behold God their creator. Those who can't see what's obvious and smack dab right in front of their face, the living God. St. Athanasius says that in, in on the incarnation, he says that Jesus was incarnate for two purposes. One, to restore our humanity. Two, to reveal to us the Father, because no one has seen the Father at any time, but the only begotten, he has revealed him, like it says in the first chapter of John. But he goes on to say, be very mindful though, be very careful. Don't think that it was impossible to know the Father without the Son having revealed Him. Because all of the righteous people in the Old Testament, they managed to know the Father. Abraham managed to know God and become the friend of God. Moses spoke to God face to face. All of these saints knew God. Joseph, before the law, when he was propositioned by Potiphar's wife, said to her, how dare I do this great sin before God? How did he know it was a sin? There was no law. Joseph is the son of Jacob, is the son of Isaac, is the son of Abraham. That was 400 years before Moses and the law on Mount Sinai. How did Joseph know? Because he knew God. So it wasn't the, it wasn't the coming of Christ which revealed, which revealed Christ, as, which revealed the Father as though the Father were unknowable previously. In fact, St. Athanasius says that God is revealed in all of His creation the same way as the character of an artist is clearly revealed through their artwork, through their creation. This man and all of humanity comes to God blind, unable to see what is obvious before their eyes, which is that God created us out of love, out of a deep, deep love for us, He created us. This man was mute. What, is, what does that mean? It means he can't speak. Why did God give us the ability of speech? The foremost reason He gave us the ability of speech was to praise Him. Look, everything else has to do with this temporal reality, this temporal world which is going to pass. So the fathers are telling us 
The muteness of this man is the inability to praise God. I want to ask you, how many people do you know in your work, in your school, in your family who are unable to praise God? How many times have I been unable to praise God? Have I been so upset, so down, so despondent, so in in despair that I was unable to praise God? I had nothing good to say. God, I know you are worthy of all praise, but ask me for one thing for which to praise you, and I can't think of anything. Praise is different from thanksgiving. Thanksgiving is, is talking to God about how good he is in relation to us. Praising him is just talking about how good he is, period. Thank, thanksgiving is, Lord, thank you for all of your good gifts to me. Thank you, Lord, for creating this whole world for us. Thank you, Lord, for the specific things in my life and the general things and so on. Praise is... Oh God, you are awesome, you are mighty, you are unknowable, you are unreachable, you are the timeless, the unbeholdable. To speak about God in the fullness of his characteristics alone, not necessarily in relation to us. This man was mute, unable to sing the praises of God. This man is like all of humanity, myself included, born up in this man, and Jesus takes him and he heals him. And he, he is demon-possessed. What does it mean to be demon-possessed? One of the, 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 the late, late Russian fathers, the 19th century father, Bishop Ignatius um, Brian Chin Inov, I can't say his name properly without breaking it up into syllables. Uh, he wrote a fantastic book on the Jesus Prayer called On the Jesus Prayer. In, in, in that book, he, there's a chapter about the, the name of Jesus casts out demons. And he talks about how there's two main forms of demon possession in our days, in Jesus' day as well, but in our days. There's the classic form of demon possession that you see in the Jesus of Nazareth movies, the person flailing around, screaming, ah, right? Um, but there's another kind of demon possession. There is... There's a kind of demon possession where demons inhabit the mind of a person and reprogram the mind of that person so that person is no longer in conflict with the demonic thoughts and demonic ideas, but accepts them and so does them willingly. So in that person, you see no conflict. Like in the first type from the Jesus of Nazareth movies, right? You see that the person is in deep conflict. The, pe- the person is, there's an, a spirit which is inhabiting them. And now that they re- recognize the depth of the evil of this spirit, they, they're fighting with the spirit to, to get away from the spirit, but they can't because the spirit indwells them. And the spirit is force, forcing them to do all of these things. So you see conflict. There's that kind. But there's a second kind in which you see no conflict at all. In fact, the person has completely accepted these demonic thoughts. In the Psalms, it tells us, all the idols of the people are demons. Demon possession is synonymous with idolatry. How many times have I been idolatrous? How many times have I set up another God for myself? other than the living God himself. How many times have I worshipped money? Have I worshipped pleasure? Have I worshipped status? Have I worshipped prestige? And forsaken God and forsaken his laws. And allowed, allowed the thoughts of demons willingly in my mind and acted on them. This is the demon possession 
that, that Jesus wishes to free us from, to give us deliverance from. And this man sums up all of humanity. All of us are summed up in this man. Some of you might say, might be deeply offended right now and, and be looking for something to throw at me. How dare you, Abuna, call me blind, mute, and demon-possessed? Sure, if you, if, you, if, you, if you wish not to be this man, that's fine. But this man gets healed. You want to deny your disease, you're welcome to and walk right out of here with it. Just the same as you came in with it, just as the same as you go out. But if you're willing to, to confess that you are like this man, Jesus is also ready and willing to heal you. And then they get all upset with Jesus. He casts out demons. How could he do such a thing? He casts out demons by the ruler of the demons. Jesus gives us a principle that I wish we could apply in the church. I wish we could apply in our homes, in our families, in our friendships, in every relationship. He tells us, look. He tells them, look. What you're saying doesn't make any sense at all. Why? Because if Satan is casting out Satan, then he's, Satan is, is destroying his, himself. He's destroying his kingdom. That would never work. And his kingdom would crumble. No rational person would do that, Jesus is saying. But we do that. But we do that. When we allow division to enter into our homes, our friendships, our relationships... Well, what happens? Look, what I love about Orthodoxy, Orthodox Christianity, is it's actually remarkably simple. Like, we, we, look, we look back at the teachings of the fathers and all of this because we love the heritage that they've given us. But frankly, it's very simple. If we allow a spirit of division to come in between us and my home, what's going to happen to my home? It's going to get divided. <laughs> it's not rocket science. You know, and then what's going to happen? Well, eventually we're not we're going to be so divided. We're not going to be able to be together anymore. So we're going to part ways and we're going to divide further. You know, the word devil comes from a Latin word. The Greek word for it is diabolos. The Greek word for devil is diabolos. Comes from the same root word as divider. It just means the divider. You know, if, if you wanted to make like an emblem, a, a, a logo, a crest for, for the demons, you know what you could use? You could use like a wedge. You know the thing you use to keep the door from closing, like a door closer? It's like a wedge. He gets in between two people and keeps pressing until he can divide them further and further and further and further apart. Look at the... the, the the high note of the liturgy is what? Like, if we were to cancel something in the liturgy, okay, today we didn't have the hall downstairs, so we couldn't do the Sunday series, so we rejig things around and change the schedule. We had to change things. Suppose next week you come, and for some unforeseen reason, something was removed from the liturgy. What would you be the most disappointed by? When I ask that question to people who are believers and are baptized and in the church and have been there for a while, they say communion. When I ask that question to 80%, you know, the, the rough majority, when I ask that question to people who are new to the church and don't really connect with the liturgy and so on, they say, they say the sermon. Isn't it interesting that one was made, the, the sermon and the liturgy of the word was made for the catechumens 
and that the liturgy of the believers was made for the believers. That's a side note. The point is the high note of the liturgy is what? Is communion, is coming together, is being together in one body. That's what Jesus does. He brings all nations unto himself, he says. He says, and when I'm lifted up, he's referring to the cross, I will bring all nations to myself. He is the, the, the communer. <laughs> You know, whereas the demons are the dividers. And you find that today's readings altogether are pointing so, so pointedly at this. That this is the essence, this is the essence of the healing of this man. The healing of this man was a defragmentation. You know when you, your computer isn't working very well, you can do this thing called defragment or something. The computer people can tell us what it means more, but from what I understand, there's like little bits and pieces of the memory of your computer that get all tied up doing things they don't need to be doing anymore, right? And they end up in their own little corner doing their little thing, and they're not being useful to the rest of the computer. That's exactly what happens to us. We get fragmented. Jesus is the defragmenter. He brings us all back together again. And you'll notice something that was at the end of the Pauline epistle. St. Paul says this. He says, he, he's written to this letter to the Corinthians. It's one of his longest letters. And he says to them, This salutation I write to you by my own hand. Paul's. Right? What does he say right before that? He says, these people greet you, and these people they greet you, and these people, all the brethren greet you. Greet one another with a holy kiss. Does that sound familiar? Yeah, we have that in the liturgy. In the prayer of reconciliation, it's the first, it's the first prayer. It's the first imperative command given by the deacons. You'll notice that the deacons serving on the altar, they only speak in the imperative term, sense, like in the, in the verb tense, you know? They're always telling us what to do. Right? First, the priest says, let us pray. They say, stand up for prayer. There's those little ones. But the first main response they say is, greet one another with a holy kiss. Now that you've confessed the creed together, now that you have, you've all said you are ready to participate in the liturgy of the believers, from now until communion, make sure you're one body. The fathers share with us something really, really, uh, really beautiful about that. They tell us that it's not when, when the... Um, when we greet one another with a holy kiss, let me just get you the, uh, St. John Chrysostom says, having bound them together by this exhortation, greet one another with a holy kiss, Paul goes on to bid them to seal their union by means of a holy kiss, which unites and produces one body. The kiss is holy when it is free of deceit and hypocrisy. What is a holy kiss? A kiss which is free of deceit and hypocrisy. So I'm not being a hypocrite. And what do we do? I'll need a, um, what do we do when we, when we ask somebody to greet, greet one another with the Holy Kiss? We put our hands out like this. What does this look like? This looks like how bricks are laid in a wall, right? To demonstrate like that. You see, like, there's no, there's no part where my hand is not touching Nina's hand. And there's, and there's no dividing line between us. It's not like this. Like this, there would be a dividing line. Like this, there's no dividing line. There's no separation between me and you. When we greet one another with a holy kiss, 
We're saying there's no separation between me and you. I am yours and you are mine. It's very much akin to marriage. Well, isn't it? The two become one flesh and we all become one flesh in Christ. It's, this, this, shouldn't be, this shouldn't be like a mystery, right? This should be, it should be pretty clear. Then St. Paul goes on to tell us in, in the reading here, he says to them, he says, he says to them, you know the household of Stephanus? Submit yourselves to them and to such others. He's saying, you see, in, in, in their time, they didn't have churches like this. They, they would worship in people's homes because Christianity was illegal. Nero was starting to go crazy and starting to kill Christians and, uh, and the persecutions were beginning. So there was no way that they could assemble in public places. So they would assemble in homes. And the head of each home was usually the, the, the presider, the person who would preside over the prayer, right? And he's saying, submit yourselves to those people. In what? In a spirit of love. He says, let all things be done in love. You see, these are very simple instructions given to us of how not to allow anything to divide us. St. James and the next reading shares with us also very simple, practical advice. The first thing he tells us is submit to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. It's very simple. Oftentimes we have this idea that we have to struggle with demons and struggle with Satan and we're going to, like, you know, WWF wrestle the demons. That could not be anything further from the truth. All we're called to do is resist the demons and flee to God. If you're going to pin anybody, don't pin the devil. Pin God. <laughs> pin yourself to God. Right? That's all we're called. That's all we're called to do. Resist the devil and draw near to God and he will draw near and he will draw near to you. And then St. James goes on to tell us also very simple and practical advice. He says to us, humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. 90% of the times when I get into a tiffy with somebody, it requires me to big myself up. It requires of me a certain degree of arrogance. It, does, it requires of me to have a certain sense of entitlement. St. James is telling us, stay, stay way away from that. Don't judge each other, he tells us. So when you judge somebody, you're judging the person who made him. When I judge this painting and I say that it's not very nice, I'm judging the painter. When I judge somebody, I'm judging his maker. I'm judging God himself, which doesn't make any sense. Look, all of this is very, very simple. I'm going to conclude with these thoughts. The message, the plain and simple message of the gospel is clearly evident in today's readings. And God wishes for us to make this the theme song of our lives. God created us out of his immense love for us. And God himself is characterized by three main things. His goodness, 
his incorruptibility and his immortality. His goodness, his incorruptibility and his immortality. And he created us out of love and joined us to himself. And there was this union. And through the envy of the devil and his deceit and his lies, we ruptured that union by our own free will. Naturally, what happened? We lost God's goodness, God's incorruptibility, and God's immortality. Which is what? What did we gain? We gained. We lost His goodness. We gained evil instead. We lost His incorruptibility. We, we, we bought ourselves decay. We bought ourselves corruption, which leads to sickness, which leads to the opposite of His immortality, death. What did Jesus do? He came and He took all of this upon Himself. He took all of our corruption, all of our death, and the evil of all the world upon Himself. He took all the bits and pieces that were fragmented and broken, our broken humanity. You can see from the second generation, Cain kills Abel. There's a fragmentation in humanity. Humanity was made to hold together all of a sudden from the second generation. It didn't take a long time. Humanity is become destroying itself, self-destructive. By the seventh generation comes a guy called Lamech. Lamech says, He who touches one in my family, I will kill him, kill his family, kill his village, burn it to the ground, and anyone who mentions his name shall be killed. Look at the amount of evil that entered into the world. By the time we get to Noah, the world is so desperately evil. Not one of the terrorist attacks that happens in, in the world today that you see in the news would even compare to the depth of the wickedness of the world. In such a short period of time, the world completely fell apart, completely unraveled. Jesus comes and he takes all of that evil, all of that decay and all of that death and mortality into himself. And he puts the pieces back together again. And he accepts all of it and makes it his own reality, which ends him where? On the cross, which ends him in the tomb, which he takes all of that and he resurrects it. And he gives it a new chapter after and then he died, there's a new chapter, which is life. And he calls us, and this is the last point, he calls us now to participate in his work, to participate in his life, to participate in his incarnation, to participate in his circumcision, to participate in his theophany, to participate with him at the wedding of Cana of Galilee. And so you find that's why the church is so obsessed with feasts, because the church wants us to live the life with Christ liturgically. And then the church wants us to carry on and live the life of Christ in our day-to-day -day lives, to be incarnate, to be Christ incarnate in my workplace and in my 
school and in my family and so on. To be the one who brings together, not the one who divides. So Jesus is telling us a very obvious principle that every kingdom divided against itself cannot stand. And every household divided against itself cannot stand. Let each one of us ask ourselves, am I helping to bring together or am I helping to divide? If I have been a divider in the past, let me be like this man who was demon-possessed, was possessed by, by a spirit of evil. I'm possessed by a spirit of dividing. Let me come to Jesus with my evil spirit, my evil thought, and tell him, Lord, as you healed this man, heal me. And let us all be people who bring people together, Blessed are the peacemakers, says Jesus, for they shall be called sons of God. Glory be to God forever and ever. Amen. I have sinned with me, my fathers and mothers and brothers and sisters. Please pray.